empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I appreciate Marty reading that very long passage for us. <laughs> we gave her two verses. Um, you know, today we're going to talk about creation. And why does creation matter? Just like a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, what does it mean to be human? These are worldview questions. And today is the worldview question of where did it all come from? Where did everything come from? Everybody, whether they think about it or not, does to some degree or another Think about that worldview question. Where does everything come from? What is the beginning? And the Bible does give us answers. And these answers matter in life because if you don't think about that, we, we, we can become purposeless, meaningless. Life can become vain. And I think that's a big part of the problem going across the United States of America right now. People need purpose. They need to know that their life has value. Everything has value, everything has meaning, because God created it. And God created it with purpose. If there is a Bigfoot, he's created by God, okay? Uh, it's a little Bigfoot tease. E everything is created by God. Everything does have a first cause, and that is God. So here's a comic strip here, and uh, you may not be able to see it. Let's see. Did PowerPoint go? Is it black screen, DJ? Just click on it, then my clicker should work. I'll give it a second. Is it up there, Meg? Okay. No, it's not. It takes a second for PowerPoints to take. So just leave it alone and then I'll click it. it click the first slide with your pointer. Okay, I'll keep talking because I'm good at that. And um, there's a comic strip of Calvin and Hobbes, and it may show up in a second, and if it doesn't, it's okay. And it says, Dad, Calvin's coming to his dad. He says, Dad, how do people make babies? And his dad says, most people just ears, buy the kit, follow the assembly instructions. And uh, Calvin says, I came from Sears, to which his dad said, no, you're a blue light special at Kmart. Almost as good and a lot cheaper. To which Calvin goes away crying and his mom says, Dear, what are you telling Calvin now? You know, I don't know if, if, if any of you have had children, and many of you have, and many of you have had grandchildren and great-grandchildren. A birth, a baby, such a miracle. You know, I'll never forget the birth of Mercedes and Abigail. You know, now certainly with ultrasound technology, we're able to... to see pictures in the womb, and hear the heartbeat, and that is a miracle. That is amazing in and of itself. And then we get to the day of the birth, and I could really contain my emotions. It was just quite amazing. You may just try closing Easy Worship, reopening it, and then go into the PowerPoint, but I'll keep talking. Anyways, um, it's such a miracle when you see the birth of a baby. I could hardly contain my emotions. I thought I was prepared for it. I wasn't. But every day, so many miracles are being born. Every day, all these babies are being born. And it's a miracle with all of them. It's just such a miracle. How can we observe and not realize that there is a creator? So let's talk about creation. My theme today is to share with you that God created everything. And humans were a special creation. 
furthermore, furthermore, God created with purpose. God created everything. Humans are a special creation. God created with purpose. In an application, creation has value because we are created by God. Creation has value because we are created by God. So I'm going to read, Marty's already read Genesis 1 and 2, but I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Again, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. You know, as we look at Genesis 1 and 2, from the first two verses of the text, we see that God is creator. The Bible says, in the beginning. This means that God created time. God created time in the beginning. You know, there's another passage, Psalm chapter 90, Psalm number 90. Actually, uh, the Psalms aren't chapters. The Psalms are just numbers. Psalm number 90, verses 1 and 2, says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. Now, I remember when I was a child, I used to think, who created God? How did God come to exist? Anybody ever wonder that? Who created God? How did God come to exist? Hey, we're there. This is really cool. That's the comic. Um, that's the theme. That's the Genesis. Um, wait, is it up there? There we go. Okay, we just like to keep things exciting. The demon has been cast out of the computer in the back, and it is fixed now. That's a psalm. Okay. So let's see if it keeps working. You know, so I used to think, who created God? How did God come to exist? But this passage says, in the beginning. This means that this is the beginning of time. This is the beginning of time. What was faulty in my thinking is that I thought God was, when, was in our realm of time. But God is not limited by time. God is not limited by our limitations. And this goes right along with that A.W. Tozer devotion, which I read at the beginning of this worship service. God is not limited by the limitations we have. If he was limited by these limitations, he would not be God. You ever think about that? If God was limited by time, he would not be God. He is God, so he surpasses time. He is beyond time. He is outside of time. The thing that the thing is, God is not limited by time, so my thought of who created God goes back to the fundamental thinking that God had to have a beginning. But beginning goes back to chronological thinking. But the Bible says, in the beginning. This is our beginning, not his. Now, there are philosophical articles written about how God relates to time. No one ultimately knows, I don't think, because he's God. So if you're ever dealing with insomnia, let me know and I'll lend you some of the articles. I had to read them in seminary and a little bit in college. They, they cure insomnia. But their philosophy, and, and philosophy probably purify, um, cures insomnia all the time. Um, but God was able to transcend time. And we know this from the prophecies in the Bible. Think about it. Isaiah is written some 700 years before Jesus. And if you read Isaiah 53, it is quite clear about the suffering servant, about Jesus, our Messiah. 
is prophetic. How can we have these prophecies in the Bible? Because God inspired the Bible and God is outside of the time. Try reading Daniel. It's amazing. Daniel also written some 600 years before Christ, writing around 600 B.C., between probably 600 B.C. and 540 B.C. It is totally prophetic about Alexander the Great, which until the 4th century B.C. God transcends time. God created time. And this is written about from our beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. We see that. God created time, space, and matter. Listen to this. God had to have a place, so he created space. Genius, right? We serve a great God. He needed a place to put the things he was going to create, so he created space. But that's amazing to think about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That one verse is saying God created time. Beginning. Space. And God created matter. He created them all. Now, God created the heavens. The Bible refers to at least three heavens. Three heavens. The Bible will refer to the atmosphere as heaven. The Bible will refer to outer space as heaven. And the Bible also refers to the area where God resides as heaven. God created the heavens plural. This means that God created all of these regions. You know, we see pictures of outer space. You can go onto the website of the Hubble and see all these pictures of these beautiful, amazing galaxies. God created all of those. God created the earth. Now, look at this. The first two verses are an overview of the creation of time, space, and matter. But starting in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1, if you're still in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 3, God gives order to this matter. God arranges his creation so it is not a mess. And the rest of chapter 1 deals with the details of the earth and its surrounding. God created everything in six days. On day 1, God creates light. This late light may not be the sun because the sun has not been created yet. Most have believed the light is light emanating from God. On day one, God also created the idea, the idea of day and night. On day two, God creates the atmosphere. Notice the waters are already there. On day three, God creates land and vegetation. On day four, God creates the moon and the stars. Notice the Bible does not use the word sun or moon. If you study the ancient religions of the Middle East, you can see that they worship the sun and the moon. So Moses was careful not to use those terms. In fact, if you really study this text, you can compare it with the other religions of the Middle East. In comparing, you can see that Moses is writing this, correcting those religions. And showing that there is one God and he is supreme. On day five, God creates the creatures of the sea and the air. On day six, God creates the land animals and humans. Humans are the only creation specified. Humans are also created in God's image. Male and female reflect the image of God. And man and woman are the only creation that God gives great detail about the creation of man and woman. God created by the way, if you read on to Genesis 2, we see more specific detail about the creation of Adam and Eve. And God created 
everything seen and unseen. Nehemiah 9.6. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down before you. Colossians 1.16. For by him, this is Jesus. For by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created both through him and for him. There is no challenge of the gods. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, our triune Godhead reigns supreme. He reigns over everything. He created everything. There is no mystery. He created with purpose. He created with intent. Where did it all come from? It came from God speaking forth creation into existence. But scripture does affirm the direct creation of Adam and Eve. The Bible, this comes from Wayne Grudem. He's a theologian. He says, the Bible also teaches that God created Adam and Eve in a special personal way. The Lord God formed man of dust from the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. There are specifics about the creation of Adam. After that, God created Eve from Adam's body. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. In the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Genesis 2, 21 and 22. God apparently let Adam know something about what had happened. For Adam said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Genesis 2, 23. In Genesis 2, the Bible gives great detail about God creating Adam and Eve. It is not my intent to teach or preach against certain specific scientific theories today. It is my intent to share that humans are created specifically by God and that all of creation has a purpose. All throughout the Bible, we see that God is in control and that God controls creation. And God creates and creates with purpose. I do have to say a few words regarding evolution or the Big Bang Theory. First, Big Bang. It was a Christian who invented the Big Bang Theory. I have no problem with the Big Bang Theory because we do know that space is expanding into nothingness. That does not mean that I believe that space has been expanding for billions of years. It can happen as quickly as God wanted it to. God began creation, and it can happen as he wants it to. God created adult humans, and to me it seems that he created an adult universe. It, look, if I believe God is the greatest of them all, if I believe God transcends space and time, if I believe God created time, space, and matter, why do I have to doubt anything about the times of how things work out in outer space? No big deal. He created everything. I have to jump into evolution for just a moment because anything you turn on, whether it's PBS or whether if you open up a first grade textbook from our schools, you will see evolutionary theory right then and there. A first grade textbook will say 6.5 billion or trillion years ago. They're always changing because they don't know. This happened. They are laying the foundation for these theories right then and there. 
Well, with evolution, there are mi there's micro versus macro evolution. One website shared this, and this is from an actual science website. It says, microevolution happens on a small scale within a single population, while macroevolution happens on a scale that transcends the boundaries of a single species. Despite their differences, evolution at both of these levels relies on the same established mechanisms of evolutionary change. I am not a scientist. I'm a pastor and one could say a biblicist and theologian. I study the Bible. I study theology. I, I study God uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, and I, and I enjoy that, and I love that. I really do. I've studied some science in high school and college and even in and, 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 and seminary. I like to watch the Weather Channel. I'll let that be known, especially when they're talking about volcanoes. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, so, but I cannot believe, I have to say, evolution at its largest scale, which what I believe this would call macroevolution, contradicts the Bible. Evolution in its fullest form, as in macroevolution, contradicts the Bible because, listen, evolution is based on death. It took death after death after death to get to humans. The Bible clearly specifies the creation of humans in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But macroevolution has some major gaps. And there's a, a book called Darwin's Black Box, which, which gets into this, which gets into this. Theologian Wayne Grudem continues. He says, some may object Genesis chapter 1 and 2 does not intend to portray Adam and Eve as literal individuals. But A... The historical narrative in Genesis continues without a break into the obviously historical material about Abraham in Genesis 12, showing that the author intended the entire section to be historical. And B, in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, and 1 Corinthians 15, Paul affirms the existence of the one man, Adam, through whom sin came into the world. And bases his discussion of Christ's representative work of earning salvation on the previous historical pattern of Adam being a representative for mankind as well. Moreover, the New Testament elsewhere clearly understands Adam and Eve to be historical figures. You can see all those passages about Adam and Eve. The New Testament also assumes the historicity, which, is, which means the truth uh, in history, of the sons of Adam and Eve. We see Cain and Abel in the Bible in the New Testament. It's quite clear. You know, I could share more about that. And if you do get my sermon manuscripts or if you look on my blog tomorrow, I'll have much more about evolution and the different problems with maker evolution. I'm not going to share. I'm going to skip over that material right now. I, I do want to share that there are some major problems, though. And one is the lack of intermediate types. You see, when, when um, the origin of the species was being published and Darwin was writing about that, they only had a certain amount of fossil, fossil evidence, which was still a lot. But they never found what they call intermediate types. And these are fossils showing some characteristics of one animal and a few characteristics of the next developmental type. They were never found then. Darwin thought as more fossils are found, those intermediate types would be discovered. But they've never been discovered since. And we've found many, 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 many fossils since then. There is a major problem in the lack of intermediate types. Now, having said that, I came out of college at Cedarville University, where every good Christian attends. 
making sure you're awake. Uh, I came out of college being a strong believer in 624-hour day creation. And I still, I still am. However, I was so strong in that at that point when I came out of college that I probably thought your salvation was in jeopardy if you did not hold to a young earth creation. And then God made me serve as an associate pastor under a pastor who was a theistic evolutionist. And he really challenged my thinking, which made me stronger in my beliefs in the end. At one point he said, but, he, but, but it did make me have grace. One day he said he could not understand how people could invest their whole life working in something and be wrong. How could people invest their whole life in the sciences and be wrong? To which my only and best response is, if the foundation is wrong and you invest your whole life building on that foundation, then everything else falls apart. Be careful in what your foundation is. As Christians, I believe our foundation is strongly in the Bible, in the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is true that the Bible does not, you know, write all together as a science textbook, but it is quite clear in some matters. And we have to be careful in things that contradict. On a yet similar note, I did meet professors in seminary who did not believe, did not believe in a 624-hour day creation but also did not believe in evolution. They read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and thought, is this type of literature meant to be interpreted as literal 24-hour days? And so they were looking at the hermeneutics, which means the interpretation. I don't go that way, but I don't have a problem with that as I do when you're looking at things and saying, well, we have this theory of evolution, and so we have to reinterpret the Bible. Listen, we do not ever change our interpretation of the Bible based off of anything but good Bible interpretation. We always look at good Bible interpretation and interpret the Bible based off of that. You do not look at the Bible and reinterpret it based off of some new discovery. Some final applications. We are created with a purpose. God created all of creation, seen and unseen, comes from God. Do not worship creation. Worship God. There has been a problem and there continues to be a problem with people worshiping creation. In praise and worship God. God created. Do not be afraid. He is the creator and he's in charge. We can trust God. We can have great faith in God. Because he's the creator. When you see beauty, worship God who created it. If you're out at Mill Creek Park and you're, you know, walking or riding a bike or whatever it may be, and you just see the uh, beautiful landscape as you look out on the mill or on the, I just got there. I just discovered Mill Creek Park. It's beautiful. And you're looking at the creek or whatever. Worship God who created the beauty. Worship God the creator. Allow yourself to notice God's beautiful creation. If you're watching some scientific show and on um, PBS or the Weather Channel, I refer you to the Weather Channel if you have it. And, um, and they're talking about some type of amoeba and DNA structure, the DNA code, which is just amazing. Worship God. He created DNA. 
He created all these things. That's just amazing. Let everything you see point to God, the creator, and worship God. And understand that we are created with a purpose. We are created with intent. Our life has meaning. Our world has meaning because of its creator. Crazy love, right? Uh, and Francis Chan writes in Crazy Love that this. Why would God create more than 350 and nine zeros galaxies? Isn't that billion? Thank you. That's what I thought. 350 billion galaxies. And this is a conservative estimate that generations of people never saw or even knew existed. Do you think maybe it was to make us say, wow, God is unfathomably big? Or perhaps God wanted us to see these pictures so that our response would be, who do I think I am? Who do I think I am? R.C. Sproul writes, men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. Isn't that true? Contrast yourself with the majesty of God and how great he is. Francis Chan continues, did you know that a caterpillar has 228 separate and distinct muscles in its head? That's quite a few for a bug. The average elm tree has approximately 6 million leaves on it. And your own heart generates enough pressure as it pumps blood throughout your body that it could squirt blood up to 30 feet. Francis Chan says, I've never tried this and I don't recommend it. Have you ever thought about how diverse and creative God is? He didn't have to make hundreds of different kinds of bananas, but he did. He did not have to put 3,000, 3,000 different species of trees within one square mile in the, Amos, in the Amazon jungle, but he did. God did not have to create so many different kinds of laughter. Think about the different kinds of your friend's laughter. Wheezes, snorts, silent, loud, obnoxious. How about the way, this is neat, how about the way plants defy gravity by drawing water upward from the ground into their stems and veins? Or did you know that spiders produce three kinds of silk? When they build their webs, they create 60 feet of silk in one hour, simultaneously producing special oil on their feet that prevents them from sticking to their own web. Most of us hate spiders, but 60 feet an hour deserves some respect. Coral plants are so sensitive that they can die if the water temperature varies by even one or two degrees. Isn't that amazing? We serve an amazing God and we worship him. And so... My question is, do you know this amazing God? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted his free gift of salvation? Are you in a relationship with this amazing God? And are you sure? I believe we have two problems when it comes to our society's belief or lack of belief in the gospel. One problem is... The rejection of the gospel. People just flat out reject the gospel. 
Maybe that's one of you. Maybe you have doubts. I would love to talk to you about your doubts. Maybe you're an agnostic or an atheist. I would love to talk to you. I would uh, love to refer you to books such as Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis or The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel or The Evidence that Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell or More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. Maybe you have doubts. Certainly some people reject God because of pain and suffering. And again, I would refer, to, I would refer you to The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel or or, or the problem of pain by C.S. Lewis. Then there's another problem. And that is people who believe they are Christians, but they don't live for Christ at all. They have an easy believism. They believe, I've said this prayer watching Billy Graham 50 years ago. I haven't been to a worship service or a church in 40 years, and I don't reflect Christ at all. In fact, I don't even care if I live in sin. And that's a problem in the church. That's a huge problem. Maybe that's some of you. I'll be a Christian on Sundays, but through the week, I got to focus on my job. I got to focus on my career. I got to focus on the things of the world. That's a big problem. C.S. Lewis said, Christians are the best and the worst testimonies of Christianity. Isn't that true? Don't you know in the book of Acts they were called Christians, meaning little Christ, because they reflected Christ. They were followers of Christ. They, they were like Jesus. Mahatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ. Your Christians I do not like. Your Christians are not like your Christ. Big problems here. We have to repent and try to live for Christ. But don't let other Christians ruin Christianity for you. Or should I say other alleged Christians? Must we remember, must we definitely remember that Jesus said, many will come to me on the last days and they're going to say, Lord, I prophesied in your name. Lord, I cast out demons in your name. And he said, I want to say, depart from me. I never knew you. So my question is, do you know Christ? And do you know Christ in a way that is not just that you said a sinner's prayer, but that you are living for Christ? The idea of knowing Jesus is a day-to-day -day life of serving and surrendering to Jesus. Every single day, our focus is on living for Jesus. Our focus is not on football, though I love football, and you could talk to me about it, and I do but that's not our focus. The NFL said they own Sundays. No. Christians worship on Sundays because Jesus rose on Sunday. Our focus is not on football or money or fast cars or TV or movies or any of that. It's on serving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. How many of you are going to get to heaven and stand before Jesus and think, gee, I wish I could have lived five years longer so I could have watched more football, so I could have seen that new movie out. So I could have, could have got another fast car. No. As Christians, our focus is on serving our great king who called us into a relationship with him. So I come back to the question, do you know the king of kings and lord of lords? Are you confident that if God called you home today, you'd be going straight to be with him in heaven? Are you confident of this? If you look at the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there is one grand theme. It is this. God created us to be with him. God walked with man in the Garden of Eden. Our sins separate us from God. 
Most of our world knows we sin, but we do not realize the great separation that sin causes between us and God. Because we trivialize it. Because we compare ourselves with our neighbor. Or we compare ourselves with Hitler. And we look pretty good. We never compare ourselves with God. God is holy. Sin is against God. It is an utter, complete abomination to God. It separates us from God. The Bible teaches that sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Our works do not take care of sin. But God did desire us to be in a relationship with him. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. God took care of the problem himself. Jesus was sinless. He could do that. And when we trust in him as Lord and, and Savior, we have eternal life. And life that's eternal means being with Jesus forever. But, you know, this idea of trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's not casual. It's an intense, total, complete trust. It's a confidence. Do you have that confidence that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? It is a confidence that if you trust him as Lord and Savior today, you try to live for him tomorrow. You'll mess up. I'll mess up. We'll all mess up. But we're convicted. We repent. We apologize. We try to live like Christ. And in that way, we should all be more godly 10 years from now than we are today. And we should be more godly today than we were yesterday. Because we are trying to grow to be like Jesus. And if you are not growing to be like Jesus, but growing to, be live, like, to live like the world, you need to analyze your salvation and have a talk with God. Where is your trust? Now, I know some of you here are saying that's judgmental. But I would just quote 2 Corinthians 13.5. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, To be sure of your salvation, make sure you are truly saved, Unless you fail the test. This is eternity we're dealing with. I stand before too many graves. And pastor too many funerals. And it is so great. With great confidence. When I can hear testimony from the family. Such as with Dick Parker today. With Helen Varga Thursday. That they knew the Lord. And they're in heaven. That is our hope. That is the hope that passes all understanding. That we have life eternal. With Jesus forever. Let's pray right now. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that you created us. You created us with purpose. You created us with intent. Lord God, I thank you that you, 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 you surpass all of creation. You're greater than your creation. You're greater than your creation because you were the creator. The creator cannot be part of his creation. That is illogical. That lacks reason. That's a problem. You're beyond your creation because you're God and there is no other. In like manner, Lord, I thank you that you created humans with intent. Adam and Eve created in your image. And you said we were very good. Yet when we sinned against you, you set us free. You saved us through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus, if there's anyone here who needs to come to know you as Lord and Savior, who doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And you are that Savior. May today be the day where they believe, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. May today be the day when they commit their life to you, trust in you. Not an easy believism, but a total, complete belief and trust and commitment to you. And Jesus, we all mess up. Help us to walk by the Holy Spirit and let you help us in this life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand if you're for Rock of Ages.
Let's all stand for this old favorite hymn, Rock of Ages. <laughs> <laughs> 